This is Exane Anderson and welcome to the Principal Podcast. Today I am so excited to have Kim Sorrell. Did I say your name correctly, Kim? You did. Perfect. Okay, Thank perfect. Um, Kim, I'm so excited to have her on the show today. She is the director of a humanitarian organization. She's a popular speaker. She's even written two books, one of which was called Cry Until You Laugh, um, which is about her husband's battle with cancer. And she also wrote a second book called Love Is about finding the true meaning of love. I'm so excited to have her on the show today. Thank you, Kim, for being on, on it with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I've been very excited about today and it is an honor to be here. Yeah. So let me ask you this. What prompted you to dedicate a whole year of your life to figure out what the meaning of love is? Well, I was diagnosed with breast cancer and four months later, my husband was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and died six weeks after that. And so I had a whole new life. I had to figure out what it was that I was going to do. I thought I knew we were just going to be married forever, die on the same day when we're in our nineties or something. And uh, then at 47 years old, that dream of my future ended. And so it made me question a few things. And one of the things that it made me question was love, the real meaning of love, because it seems to be this mystery, right? I mean, there's books and there's movies and there's Ed Sheeran and there's Nicholas Sparks and there's whoever that write about love, but what is it really? And, and different people have different interpretations. And so I wanted to figure out what, what love really was, is. Wonderful. So tell, so you dedicated a whole year to it. That's wonderful. Tell us more about how that went. Well, first of all, I have a hard time uh, dedicating myself to one entree when I go out to a restaurant. So dedicating a year to something was a big deal for me. And I was mostly in Haiti uh, when I was working on it. And so I used this ancient poem, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast, et cetera. And I decided I would take one word a month and figure out, well, what is love that is patient? What is love that is kind? And is it different than kind? Is it different than patient? And so I started out the very beginning with uh, what I thought it was going to be. Love is patient. We all know what patience is, right? We're not honking our horn if we're stuck in traffic, we're not mad because our kid lost their shoes and it's time to leave for school. We keep our cool. But what I figured out is you put love is or love is not in front of any word and it completely changes the meaning of the word. So love is patient. What that means is that you love who you're with. I just believe you're supposed to love everybody. So love who you're with in a way that you recognize that this is the most important moment of your life. What's in the past is in the past and what's in the future is yet to come. This is the moment, this moment to be fully present and fully here. And I have to tell you, this is something I had to practice a lot because it was so easy for me to think I was the greatest multitasker ever and I could be engaged in a conversation while thinking about a meeting I had later, what I had to stop and get at the grocery store, who needed to get to soccer practice, and listen to every word. And I realized I can't do that. Nobody can do that. And But when you do focus in, 
when you are fully present, when you show love that is patient, you hear things that you wouldn't hear. You're actually hearing what somebody has to say instead of what you're assuming they're going to say because of a label that you put on them. You're actually hearing them and you find out we've got a lot more in common than not, but you're really listening to the words. Wow. I love that. I really do. So one of the things you're saying about love is to be right here, right now in this moment. And how much of our time are we thinking about? We're worrying about tomorrow or we're ruminating about the past or we're thinking about the, the bad thing that person did to me yesterday or how much it hurt or, or how much I could, you know, what I need to do today to get things, but being right here present where you can hear, you're saying that's an important part of being able to love people. It's just living now, right now, and paying attention to the only moment we really can do anything about, which is now we can't change the past. We can't change even the future, but we, but we can be here now. Right. 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 Absolutely. And, and you feel that love when somebody engages with you that way and really listens to you. I mean, think about like first dates you've been on or, or the first date with the person you're with, or, you know, at the beginning and you were, enraptured you know you just couldn't get enough you just wanted to hear everything about them and and you were right there and listening to every word hanging on every word well that's because of love that that's how you show love and you should do that though not just with the person that you are currently with or married to or sometime were or whatever but with everybody with everybody I love that. So, so Kim, tell us this, what is the meaning of love? I mean, what is, what is love? So it's interesting because there are 14 is's and isn'ts of love in that poem. And so it took me a little longer than a year because, you know, math, you know, whatever, and one word a month, but, and every one of them has something special and unique about it. Every aspect of love that is mentioned has something really incredible and earth shaking about it. But there is this umbrella that kind of covers it all. And that is that love is not an emotion. Love is not like fear or excitement. You know, you don't live in fear. You watch a scary movie, you go to bed that night, you hear every creak, every door opening, you know, whatever it happens to be. But you don't live in that. You know, you're, you're there in, in it for a moment, but you don't live in it. You don't live in Disney World every day. You know, you're not living in excitement, but you live in love. Love is who you are. Love is walking, talking, living, giving, breathing. Love is who you should be to other people, who you can be to other people and to yourself. Love is who you are. So with that love, you recognize that uh, you are allowed to be exactly who you're created to be. You give yourself the freedom to be who you're created to be because love starts with yourself. Love yourself. You're unique and special and wonderful in every way. You know, I think about the Mona Lisa. If it went up for sale, how many millions and millions, I can't even, I can't even think of how many millions of dollars it would go for, right? Because it's one of a kind. And so are you. Mm. You're one of a kind. Nobody ever before is exactly like you. Nobody ever again will be exactly like you. And you are the only person that has walked in your shoes. You're the only one. And so 
when you're with people and they have a different opinion, that's okay. Love would say that's perfectly fine because you don't know where they came from and all the more reason to listen, right? But you haven't walked every day in their shoe. So you allow people to be who they're created to be. And with that comes the most glorious, incredible freedom because it's not your job to judge or condemn. It's not your job to fix people. Your job is to love people, period, and let people be who they are. I love that, if I can say that. <laughs> um, I really do. One of the things that stood out when you, when you said, you said love is not an emotion. And it reminded me of, of a story I heard from Stephen Covey. I'd like to get your opinion on this. Uh, St- uh, Stephen Covey wrote this book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, years ago. And he told this story where after a speech, somebody came up to him and said, I don't love my wife anymore. And if I remember the story right, and hopefully I'm telling it right here, he said, well, then love her. And the guy said, I don't think you heard me. I've fallen out of love with my wife and she's fallen out of love with me. And we've got three kids. We're heading for a divorce. And it kind of concerns me. And, and Stephen Covey looked at the guy and said, well, if you're not feeling it, that would be a good reason to love her. And the guy said, well, how do you love someone you don't love? And Stephen Covey looked at the guy and said, you know, my friend, you're acting like love is a love is a feeling. Love's not a feeling. Love is a verb. It's something you do. Like you said, it's something you are. You know, if you can act like you love your wife, even though you don't feel like it, eventually the feeling will follow that you can actually choose to, to your actions and your actions. If you do it for a while, you know, go do the dishes, take out the trash. I should give her a back rub, take the kids so she can have a break, whatever it is, do something and you'll start to feel love. And um, tell me your opinion on that. Oh, absolutely. I believe that's absolutely true. I had this time in my marriage, early in my marriage. And I, I loved my husband when we got married. I, I loved him, you know, period. But uh, there was a time when I was overwhelmed because I felt like I was doing everything. I had a couple kids and diapers. I was changing every diaper. I was doing all the housework. I was washing every bit of laundry. I was cooking every meal. And I started to look at my husband as a paycheck and not much more than that. And someone who contributed to that massive pile of laundry that you never quite get to the bottom of. And he would come home from work and put his feet up and then work his way over to the dinner table when I put dinner on the table. He'd eat and then he'd go back to the couch, maybe watch some TV, take a nap. And I'm working and I'm doing everything, you know, dust till dawn. And and I, or dawn till dusk, however that works, but I wondered why I had him around. Why, why did I even have him around? It'd be easier without him because that would be that much less laundry. And I could make macaroni and cheese for dinner instead of a roast or, you know, whatever. It would make my life simpler. And then I thought, you know, I want a happy marriage. I want a happy marriage. So I decided that I was going to do everything I could to make him happy. I started doing things. I started writing him a note before he went to work. I I would go to the grocery store and get his favorite treat and make his favorite meal. And I didn't put a time limit on it. I didn't say, I'm going to do this for six weeks. And if that guy doesn't respond, then I'm out of here. I didn't do that. I just determined that that's what I was going to do, that I was going to do everything I could to make him happy. And things did change. 
things did change. I mean, love is incredible that way in that it, even though you don't love to get love, love comes back to you. And my husband, things changed in our marriage. And I think more importantly, I changed. My heart softened toward my husband and my love for him grew deeper and deeper. I love that story. I love that story where, you know, here you're in a marriage instead of saying, Hey, I'm going to jump out. I'm committed. I'm in it. I'm not going to put a time limit on it. And I'm going to love this other person, whether I'm a husband having a problem loving my wife or I'm a wife having a problem loving my husband, or maybe both to just say, I, I'm going to do what I can do to love the other person, regardless of whether it's returned. But you're right. I think it, when we do that unconditionally without strings or limits or deadlines, um, we can't do it for that. But if we do it, things change, as you said, right? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Things change. Things change. Yeah. You know, the, the, go ahead. I was just going to say, there's something about love that I think is so misunderstood in any relationship, whether it's, um, you know, a husband, wife or a partner or a, a, a child, somebody at the grocery store, whatever it happens to be. And that is that that love, we're, we're told all the time that love's a two-way street, you know, or a number is put on love. Love is 50-50 or it's 100-100. Well, there's no number to love. And love is not a two-way street. Love is a one-way street. Love is not a transaction. If I give you money and you give me a dozen roses, that's a transaction. If I give you love to get love back, that's a transaction. And love doesn't do that. It, it is not a transaction. Love loves, period. We have no control of anyone but ourselves. You know, you have that baby, you bring that baby home from the hospital and you have total control. You decide when the baby eats, when the baby takes a bath, when you put the baby in the crib. But then six, seven, eight months later, your Tupperware is all over your kitchen floor. And your pots and pans are banging everywhere. And you realize that you have lost total control and you will <laughs> never get it back again. Right. And it gets worse Wait. when they're teenagers. It's more than just Tupperware, right? That's right. Yes. The Tupperware changes, but we have no control over anybody. You control yourself, period. So if you start giving love or if you're in a position where you get love, and have this expectation then you should get love in return, you're setting yourself up for disappointment, for heartache, for loneliness, for isolation, you know, for, for whatever. You don't give love to get love. It happens. A lot of times you do get love back, but not always, not always. But that's not up to you. You don't control that. You don't control how another person loves you, but you control how you love others. I love that. And I, you know, you reminded me of something my parents said to me when I was young, I'm the second oldest. And they said, you know, when your older sister was born, um, we loved her so much. We thought, how could we ever love anybody more than this precious daughter that we have? And then when you were born, we realized that it wasn't this certain amount of love we had. Like we loved you too, with all of our hearts. It wasn't that we loved your sister anymore or less or anymore. It's just our hearts expanded. And that's one of the things that's interesting about love is it's not, it's the more you give, the bigger it gets. And you're right. When we, as, as that, that love a parent has for a child that you're talking, that's almost the most 
that that's real love there. Right. And it's not like the child is, I mean, you may feel like they're giving something back, but a lot of times it's the parents sacrificing and doing this for their kid. And that's okay. Even though the, the, the child can't necessarily pay you back with, because it's just there. I, I love that. I like that thought that love is not a transaction and you love regardless of whether you get something back out of it or not. How profound. Thanks for sharing that, Kim. Yeah. No problem. Let, let me ask you this. What, what surprised you most about love? Oh gosh. Um, that it wasn't what I was taught that mm-hmm. love was not what I thought it was that there are so many things said and done in the name of love that are not love, that, that love is so much more yet simpler, but more complex. Love is uh, so different than what I thought it was going to be. And there were certain aspects that I was kind of dreading going through the month. Uh, Like for instance, love doesn't keep record of wrongs. I'm thinking, well, what can that possibly mean? You know, some of them seemed so easy, but then when I get into them, they were not easy. I I was wrong about every one of them, what I thought it was going to be. But so love doesn't keep record of wrongs. So we might forgive people, but we don't forget the things that happen to us. So how is it that love doesn't keep a record of wrongs? Like, what does that mean? So that particular month, I was asked by a gentleman in the U.S., to show him this water project that I'd been working on in Haiti. And so he brought over eight men from the U.S. I enlisted two Haitian friends to translate for us, and they knew the the project inside and out, who also happened to be men. And we got out to where we were staying, out in the countryside. And we get there, and there's this little building with two rooms. And each room has four twin-size beds, eight American men, two Haitian men, and me. We brought two cots. We brought an air mattress. I'm thinking we can move stuff around. We're fine. Well, the head guy pulls me over. Kim, Kim, did you see the rooms? And I'm thinking, buddy, this is a little place. There is nothing else to see. And then I thought, oh, he's asking me because he's going to think I want my own room. So I'm going to say, well, it's okay. I'll sleep outside. And then he'll say, oh, no, no. If anyone should sleep inside, it should be you. And then I'll say, well, I don't care if there's other people in my room. And then he'll go, good, because we only have so much space. So I said, well, it's okay. I'll sleep outside. And he said, oh, good, good. Because we have men on this trip that would not be comfortable with a woman in their room. I'm thinking Haiti is hot. You go into a room to sleep. That is the only reason you go in there is to sleep. And I wear pajamas. Like what is going to happen in Haiti in the night? that a man would be uncomfortable if I am sleeping in the same room. I was floored, but I said I would sleep outside, so I had to figure it out. So I saw a piece of plywood over this sort of table-ish thing, and I thought, well, if I sleep under that, at least I won't get wet. And then I started thinking about the creatures that Haiti has, like tarantulas and snakes and chupacabras or whatever is lurking in the bushes of Haiti. And I was so afraid that something was going to dismember me, poison me. Did Haiti have the anti-venom? Could they airlift me to Miami in time? I had no idea. 
what was going to happen. But I went to bed the first night, blew up the air mattress, I held air for about an hour. And it was so loud. Dogs were barking and horns were honking. And finally that died down sometime after midnight. Then like 2 a.m., voodoo drums started in the distance. And that went for a couple hours. Then finally I was able to get some sleep. So the first night came and went and nothing happened. All was fine. Second night, same thing. The dogs, the horns, I'm sleeping on the gravel, the voodoo drums. I'm finally asleep, but I woke up because there was something on my leg. I was so afraid to even see what it was that was on my leg. I didn't know what to expect. I was so scared. So I slowly lifted my head and I slowly opened my eyes and it was a chicken. There was a dang chicken on my leg. And I didn't know whether to be happy because it was a chicken and not something much worse or mad because this chicken interrupted some of the little bit of sleep that I was getting. So I shoot it away. Third night came and went, no problem. Fourth night, same thing. The air is gone in the air mattress, the dogs, the horns, the voodoo drums, finally I'm asleep. But again, I woke up because there was something on my leg. And again, I was scared to death. So again, I slowly lifted my head and I slowly opened my eyes. And again, it was the dang chicken. And again, I didn't know whether to be happy or mad, but I shoot it away. But that night we had chicken for dinner. So the fifth night came and went without incident. All was well. Well, at the end of that trip, I was bitter. I was mad. I was thinking, who do they, these guys, who do they think they are? I would hope that my sons would not treat a woman this way. Like I am all about equality, but I'm I'm a human being. You know, why am I having to sleep outside with the creatures? You know, why what is it that happened? I, mean, I was mad. And then I thought, you know, bitterness only hurts me. They don't know I'm mad. They have no idea. And so it's only gonna, you know, hurt my health, hurt me if I'm bitter. And then I went, aha, I finally got it. Love doesn't keep record of wrongs. So yes, I, I'll never forget that time. I mean, it was intense, right? I'll never forget it. But the narrative changes, the tone changed. So instead of these rotten guys did this rotten thing to me, now it's just this kind of funny thing that happened to me and I could literally sleep anywhere in the world and be perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. So love that doesn't keep record of wrongs changes the narrative and if you think about it everything we get to decide the narrative we get to decide if you're in a traffic jam you can be angry you can be that guy laying on the horn and so mad and mad about being stuck and how long is it going to be and your blood pressure is going up or you can be the guy in the next car who goes you know what i'm stuck in a traffic jam there's nothing i can do about it maybe i'll look for a good podcast to listen to and, and use the time, right? Mm -hmm. So we get to choose. We get to choose our response to everything that happens to us. So love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It just changes the narrative. I love that. It changes the story. You know, I've heard it said, I love how you said that. Here you were in a situation where you could have been bitter, but truthfully now that 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 whole situation has worked out for your good because you have this great funny story about a chicken that was there with you a couple, at least a couple nights there. 
And, um, you know, I think about this, how this would apply to relationships and marriages. You know, I've heard it said it's, it's less important what's actually going on in your marriage than the story you're telling yourself about what's going on in your marriage. So if you say, gosh, I'm so unlucky that I'm married to this person. How did I ever get tricked into this? And how did I ever, or there could be like, you know what? We're all human beings and, and they're not perfect. I'm not perfect, but look at all the good things that this person brings to my life or this person has or is and choose to see it. That story, that, that, the narrative, as you said, that we have in our head is so important when it comes to relationships. And so if we can choose a loving narrative versus a one of resentment or bitterness, that makes all the difference, doesn't it? Yeah, it sure does. I mean, if you think about early in your relationship, and, and the feelings that you had. So, you know, because there are these feelings along with this love, right? Mm -hmm. But the feelings that you had that he could kind of do no wrong. She could do no wrong, you know, whatever. And then you get married and he leaves his underwear on the bathroom floor. And all of a sudden you're wondering if you like this guy anymore or not. You know, it, it changes things. And this but happens to almost every married couple in the entire planet where they realize, yes. wait, I didn't sign up for this. This isn't what I thought marriage was going to be like. And I think that happens to everyone. And they come to this crisis moment, like what's going on? Am I right? Right, right. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. But you married the person. You didn't marry that behavior. You didn't marry that little thing that he did or that little thing that she did. You didn't marry that. You married the person. You love the person. We all have things that can irritate other people. I'm sure I am loaded with things that can irritate other people. You know, there may be an exception to the rule, but I, you, you, people can get irritated about anything. You know, did you put the cap back on the toothpaste? Uh, did you leave a dirty dish in the sink, you know, instead of putting it in the dishwasher? whatever. And, and it can start out with this little, oh gosh, you know, can you please pick up your laundry? Can you please take care of it? And then it happens again. And so then you get angrier about it. And pretty soon it becomes this big fight, this big argument over underwear. We fight over things like, like that, like underwear and toothpaste. I mean, those fights, when you get older and your relationship matures more, you realize looking back how silly those fights were like save your fights for the right things, you know, save, mm -hmm. save it for the things that are really important to you. Let those little things go, let them go. And then what happens is you get so upset, right? Because they're not responding the right way. And so you start, the argument can start with something small, like because you underwear. want a transaction, right? You want, <laughs> you want your part of the bargain too, because this is a transaction, which we know love isn't, but if we're thinking that, right, I right. did this, so I should get this in return. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So then you start fighting about it because you're demanding because you're expecting because of your expectations, you're getting yourself in trouble. And so you start this fight and this fight goes and pretty soon uh, biologically things are happening. And so your blood pressure is rising and endorphins are flowing and adrenaline's flowing, however it all works. And then you start saying, well, and by the way, that thing you did last week, that really made me mad. And three years ago, remember that time that you, and then if you stop and think about it, you don't even remember what started the argument to begin with. Like most of the arguing and fighting that is no fun 
It's no fun. Might be fun to make up, but it's no fun to fight. Can be avoided. Just, just avoid it. I had this other moment in my marriage. My husband taught me things. I didn't like it. I didn't like it that my husband taught me things because I thought, you know, we're equal people here. You're not my father. You're not my teacher. Like, why are you teaching me things? But he was a wise guy and not a wise guy. He was wise and he's a guy. So anyway, I, uh, one night before we had kids early, early in our marriage for within the first year of our marriage, I thought, oh, I'm going to do something special for him. And I put candles on the table. I made lasagna, his favorite meal. I made German chocolate cake from scratch, his favorite dessert. I put on something a little slinky. And when he came to the door, I met him at the door and he just came in. Hello, hello, you know, and just came in, didn't say a word. I cleaned the apartment, you know, like whatever. I really prepared for this. I had some music playing. And he just came in the door like nothing. And then we sat down to eat. And I thought for sure he's going to say something about the food. You know, he didn't say anything about the way I looked or the way the apartment looked. But certainly he'll say how great the food is. And he didn't. He didn't say anything. He was just he just ate and wanted to talk about work or wanted to talk about whatever and didn't offer me one compliment at all. And so I was stewing and stewing and bubbling and bubbling because he didn't tell me I look good. He didn't say the apartment looked good. He didn't compliment the food. By the time I was serving him the German chocolate cake, I practically threw it at him. I I was so mad. And he said, are you mad at me? And I'm like, oh gosh, what gave you a clue? Yeah, I'm, I'm mad. And he said, well, why are you mad? And I said, well, you haven't said anything. I did all of this for you. You've said nothing to me. And he said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I don't read minds. And he said, I did nothing wrong. I've done nothing wrong. Your expectations are what got you in trouble. You expected me to say things that I had no idea that you expected. Well, that sent me into the other room. What is he doing telling me this about, he's blaming me. He's telling me it's my fault, my expectations, my fault that this is happening, that I'm mad at him. I go and I slam the door, the bedroom door, and I'm thinking, my expectations. What is this guy thinking? My expectations. My expectations. He was exactly right. He was exactly right. He doesn't read my mind. He never was, he never had that skill. You know, he wasn't a mind reader. And it was my expectations. It's what I expected, but didn't tell him I expected it. I just expected him to know it. And it was my expectations that got me in trouble. And so often that that's what happens, right? Exactly right. You know what they say, if here's my expectation and here's my reality, the distance between the two is called frustration, right? So I expect something up here, but my reality is down here. And as, as these two lines diverge, I get more frustrated. So this is a little bit of frustration. But if I, my expectations go up and my reality goes down, it goes like this. But one of the things we can control in our own relationships is we can expect reality or we can communicate like you were saying, just like you would talk to an eight-year-old and say, you know what, this is what I would appreciate and not expect people to read our minds, which is when you have different communication styles, sometimes you want people to read your minds and sometimes other people just need to be told, right? Um, that's yeah. really interesting. 
Yeah. Well, and, and it all goes back to love and, and love not being a two-way street. When I was working on love that is kind, you know, love that is kind says that you do kind things and you say kind words and you are kind because that's what love does with zero expectation of getting anything in return. So if I would have known that then, if I would have known that that night, then I would have just been happy doing it for him. I would have just been thrilled just to let him come home to a clean place and let him have a great dinner. Like I, I would have been happy because that's what love would do with zero expectation of getting anything in return. And how often do you hear people say, gosh, they didn't even say thank you. Or I went to their daughter's graduation party. Where are they at mine? You know, or, or mm. whatever, right? Like we want mm. something back. Well, how bad does that cheapen what you've done? Right. When you do something kind and somebody repays you, it's your, your kind thing kind of gets wiped out because now you're even again. <laughs> right. right. It's almost like if you love people, you almost want to be able to do it without anything in return anyway, so that it can be almost real love. Is that what you're saying? Right. Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. Exactly. I love that. Thanks for sharing that story. I mean, you know, how, how would the world change if every married couple out there would say, I'm just going to love without any expectation, whether my wife or my husband returns it or not. You know, I think if everyone would start doing that, or even a good portion of people, we would see much more happy marriages, we'd see much more relationships that make it because it's not a transaction. It's almost like the love itself, that's enough to just say, I'm just going to love them. They may or may not respond. I'm going to keep my expectations really low, but I'm just going to love them and uh, control the only thing that I can control, which is me, right? I'll touch on this thing. You know, I've heard it said also that you have, we have two tracks and this isn't original to me. I think it's from uh, Dr. Tamar Fackrell, but she said, we have a communication track, which is kind of how you and I are talking. It's almost like you talk to someone in the boardroom and then we have a conflict track, which is where you start getting that meanie person self coming out of you. And they said, when you're trying to solve problems, you got to wait till you're on the communication track, not the conflict track. When you're, when you're, when you're trying to, you, you've got to wait till everybody's calm. And then you can say, Hey, you know what? When I make you dinner, it'd be nice if you said, thank you. You know, we don't say like when you're right there feeling, you know, flooded and, and you've got, you're up, got this amygdala emotions going. Um, there's obviously some skills we can learn all of us to being married. Um, but this, yeah, but the, and it's okay to ask, right. It's okay yeah. to say, how do I look? That's okay. It's okay yeah. to say, how's dinner? Just, just ask, just that's ask. Right. It's all, just, that's all right. Just ask, but, but having that underlying thing of, I'm going to love them regardless. Mm -hmm. There's no, I so profound, Kim. I'm so glad you're sharing this message about love. I am so glad. Let me ask you a question. Um, well, do you believe that love can really change the world? Number one. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Because love allows for different opinions. Love allows for people to be who they're created to be. Love is the greatest freedom in the world. And if people really walked in love and, and embodied love and, and realized the true meaning of love and then lived it, my word, you know, there's not gonna be war. There's, there's not gonna be 
gosh, those Democrats, you know, people say, oh, I love everybody. I love everybody. But those darn Democrats or those darn Republicans, right? Well, then you don't love everybody. If we lived in love, the Democrats and the Republicans could sit down together, you know, have some turkey and and uh, keep the mashed potatoes on the plate instead of throwing them at each other and ending up on the wall. And right. they could actually talk and listen to each other and hear. Because it, when it comes down to it, everybody has the same needs. And we all have the same wants, a lot of the same wants, right? Right. We want a peaceful world. We want a safe place for our kids to grow up in, for us to live in. We we want, we need a house or a place to live, a roof over our heads. We need shoes on our feet. We need food. We need clean water. You know, we all have the same, same basic things. And yet it's easy to go, well, they, whatever label it is you want to put on somebody, well, they... They don't want what we want. You know, they're trying to destroy us. They're trying to destroy our country. They're trying, nobody's trying to destroy our country. Who would want to destroy our country? If if somebody destroys our country, they get destroyed as well, right? I mean, everybody gets destroyed. Everybody might, people might come from different places and different ideas, but love would say that is perfectly fine. It's, it is perfectly fine. Then you sit down and you talk about it and you figure it out and you listen, listen more than you talk and just listen, see what's said. And whether it's, whether it's a marriage with a husband and wife or a country with Democrats and Republicans, conservatives, liberal, this conflict, which is, I'm not saying contention. I'm talking about where you see things differently, which is how I'm defining conflict here. It's actually an opportunity to bridge. So if, if you say, well, gosh, my wife is so much different or my husband's so much different. Well, that's actually an opportunity to, to build this bridge. And then you have this marriage that has a breadth to it rather than, you know, well, we're exactly the same, which is not a bad thing. I mean, some things you might want to be exactly the same, but sometimes having the differences is what brings this extra strength to a relationship it's in a country in a, in a marriage, in a family, um, and being able to accept each other. I love that. Thank you, Kim, so much for for joining us on the show. Can, tell us how people can get a hold of you if they want to, if they would like more information from you. KimSorrell.com is my website. I'm literally the only Kim Sorrell spelled my way in the entire world, but my last name has way too many letters: two R's, two E's, two L's, S O R R E L L E. So KimSorrell.com. But my book is Love Is, and that tells all the stories. Uh, like the one that I told today and many, many more and some kind of embarrassing, but uh, the discoveries of love that are in there, loveis.info is also how you can get to my website, loveis.info. And I am on social media. I'm available. I love meeting new people. I love hearing from people. And I've gotten, I don't even know how many emails from couples saying that they did this together. They each got a copy. They each bought a copy instead of most of the time, that's what I'm hearing. And, and then had a highlighter so they could go back and talk about the things that they wanted to talk about. And uh, couples are staying together. I've gotten emails from couples that are staying together because, because of love is. Because love is. <laughs> 
So check out Kim's book. Kim, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been an honor to have you and appreciate you talking about the most important thing. Is there anything else you'd like to say to our viewers before we, before we end? Oh, I'd like to say that your podcast should be on the top of everybody's list <laughs> because it's fantastic and helpful and, and just love, you know, stop, put the pride and the ego away, right? Like we want to win. It's not about winning. It's, it's about loving. It's about loving. I love that. Well, I thank you so much. No matter the question, love is the answer from Kim. Kim, thank you for being on the show. And everybody go have a great day and follow Kim and get her book. I am so jealous of my wife because she gets the ultimate career. She gets to train and nurture and love our children more than I get to because I have to be doing things like this podcast. Parenting is the ultimate career. If you like what you heard today, please like, subscribe, comment, leave a review. Thank you for listening. You can also check out my book, What I Want My Children to Know Before I Die. It's available on Amazon and other bookstores. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>